Welcome into Words with Wallace. I'm your host, Nick Wallace. Coming at you, it's Sunday, July 16th. Uh, I'd love to sit here and say a lot has gone down since the last time we spoke a little over a week ago. Uh, but that's not the case, guys. Welcome welcome to the dog days of summer. Um, I know if you guys are listening to Words with Wallace at this point in time, you guys are a real one and maybe an NBA junkie like myself who's still thinking about basketball in the dog days of summer. Uh, so with today's episode, I actually have a little bit something different planned. I've probably mentioned it here on past episodes, but I want to take some time during the offseason to kind of go through some old school lunch table discussions about some of the best players in the NBA. So I felt like a fun episode to get things started would be ranking the top 10 point guards in the NBA, which of course I have that list prepared for you in my opinion um, that we'll get into in a little bit here. But let's go through the, you know, the few headlines that we have to talk about, or rather an update on some of the biggest headlines that we talked about in the last podcast. Of course, you know, the talk of the town is still, uh, you know, mainly surrounding Damian Lillard. Um, the issue is that we don't really have a real update into where he's headed um, beyond what information I kind of shared with you guys last time. Um, I think Joe Cronin, uh, general manager for the Portland Trailblazers, is keeping things close to the vest and playing things smart by, first and foremost, not rushing into everything, right? You have an angry superstar. He's demanded to be sent to one team, of course, the Miami Heat. Um, the Miami Heat know that they're the only, you know, the only team that Dame wants to play for. So they're, you know, most likely not sending over the best possible package for Portland. Um, you know, Portland and Joe Cronin are probably thinking as things get closer to the start of the season, Miami might become a little bit more desperate, a little bit more hungry to add Damian Lillard to their roster. And their, uh, the asking price will hopefully go up. And maybe they can even slow roll it the way that Daryl Morey did when he was in the Ben Simmons situation, right? Um, again, I know I made that comparison last podcast, but didn't get into it too much. You know, Maury, you know, basically, it, you know, the situation with Ben Simmons lasted in the entirety of a half season at that point, right? I think they ended up moving on from Ben Simmons around the trade deadline, um, and he literally did not suit up a singular game for the Sixers. And credit to Daryl Morey, he was able to move on from Ben Simmons and actually, uh, you know, turn him into James Harden, um, obviously having to throw in a couple extra assets to make that happen. But by all accounts, that's a fantastic uh, trade for the uh, Sixers if you look at where Harden is now compared to Ben Simmons being kind of buried on the depth chart in, in Brooklyn. Um, so, yeah, just, just worth noting that, you know, no real update on the Dame situation. I'd imagine the package that Miami is offering is including Tyler. Harrow, as well as maybe some draft compensation, which, you know, if you're Portland, you're probably not interested in Tyler Harrow anyway, because you have the problem, um, like we talked about before, where you have Scoot Henderson, a small guard, you have Anthony Simons, another small guard, right? You have Shaden Sharp, who, um, you know, he's not a small guard, but he's, he's obviously still somebody that plays the guard position, right? Uh, you have too many guards on the roster as it is, so they would be wise to move on from Dame and look to fill holes elsewhere on the roster or just look for mainly draft compensation. So they're probably not super interested in Tyler Harrow and his, you know, multi, you know, I think it's a $150 million contract that he signed relatively recently. So no real update on Dame, uh, no real update on James Harden either. Um, you know, it seems like just kind of listening to some other NBA podcasts and, and, you know, keeping my ear close to the streets, if you will, um, that Harden, you know, maybe there's a chance that he ends up just returning back to Philadelphia. Uh, maybe that trade request, it, you know, wasn't as uh, determined as Dames was, right? Harden did end up opting into that contract. So if, if nothing else changes, right, of course, he will most likely end up suiting up for the Philadelphia 76ers. So who knows? Maybe him and Daryl can kind of reconcile their differences and, and end up running it back. Uh, but no real update on the James Harden situation either. Or maybe he ends up, you know, getting moved to L.A. like he requested or L.A., um, you know, finds a way and, and 
you know, they kill two birds with one stone. It ends up being a three-team deal with the Clippers and the Sixers and, and the Blazers, and everybody gets what they want somehow, some way. Who knows? But no real update on James Harden either. And then, uh, much to my chagrin, uh, no update on Jalen Brown either, right? Um, still no max contract apparently offered from the Celtics. Certainly no signed contract. I know that would be major news at this point. And, of course, an article was released earlier this week that mentioned that Jalen Brown is actually going to be traveling overseas for the next couple days. And so um, there isn't going to be any updates on Jalen Brown, you know, at least until he gets back from his, his trip overseas, which was due to, you know, something – surrounding his duty as as uh, vice president of the players association it was an organizational event taking place overseas so uh good for jalen brown but i guess he's not uh getting that max contract uh until he returns so uh, i'm certainly getting more and more nervous about it as a celtics fan i of course want them to just offer jalen brown the contract get it over with and hopefully make sure that there's no bad blood between both parties heading into next season but of course there's no real update there either uh, we did have a couple of little, you know, rule changes and things to note um, that came out within the past couple weeks that I figured I could touch upon again before we get into the top 10 point guards list. Um, the in-season tournament, that's a thing that's happening. Uh, Might have mentioned it, uh, you know, several episodes ago, but I never really mentioned and commented on the structure of it, which was announced a couple weeks back. Uh, ESPN and the league posted a video of Richard Jefferson doing a really great job of explaining it. I'll retweet that on the Words with Wallace Twitter. If anybody wants to uh, get that and see that video directly, you know, RJ does a great job of, of explaining that video particularly, but I'll give you guys the, the Spark Notes version of it. Um, basically, the in-season tournament is going to be taking place this year. It uses in-season games and regular season games that were already scheduled, right, uh, during the month of November. All the games on uh, Tuesdays and Fridays, I believe, will actually count as tournament games, but they're also just regularly scheduled regular season games as well. Those will count as, like, the group play. Every team is, is you know, basically there's going to be a bunch of different groups, uh, three groups for each conference that's going to be the group play stage, again, determined during the month of November and regular season games. Then there's a more traditional tournament structure after that. There ends up being a final four teams that end up playing in Las Vegas for uh, the first NBA Cup Final Four. Um, and of course, you know, the championship game is going to be held on December 9th. So looks like it'll be pretty compact. You know, the tournament will start in November. It'll finish up on December 9th. You know, it's, it's pretty interesting. I'm not, you know, anti-tournament, I will say. I'm just not super excited about it either. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if the league can, you know, this is the NBA's way of trying to compete with football a little bit more. Um, obviously, that's still going to be the, the prime football season. Even somebody like myself, it can be difficult um, to get interested in the NBA until right around Christmas, right? So they're trying to find some ways to garner up some more interest in the league and in the regular season. You know, my only gripe about it is that it does add a few regular season games for the teams that advance to the Final Four, I believe, or maybe even just past the group stage. They might play an extra, you know, couple games. And I just feel like the league should be in a spot where they're actually reducing the number of games in the schedule to make the regular season more meaningful rather than adding on games for the sake of adding in uh, a better TV product in this in-season tournament. So, again, I'm, I'm pretty neutral on it. I will be fascinated in it. Of course, if, if my Celtics are in it, then I'll, I'm sure I'll be a bigger fan of the tournament come, come November and December um, if they are able to make it to the Final Four. But it'll be interesting, right? It'll be interesting to see how serious the teams take it, how intense those Final Four games in Las Vegas really are. So it will be something worth uh, noting and, you know, certainly going to be looking forward to that tournament, you know, come November. Uh, moving on to, I think, the most notable news and uh, you know that has taken place since the last time we spoke. It's actually surrounding a couple different rule changes, and I feel like this kind of flew under the radar. Uh, Sham Sharania of The Athletic tweeted this out a few days ago, uh, but mentioned two different rule changes that I think are, are both really positive uh, changes for the NBA for this upcoming season. 
First and foremost, there will be an in-game penalty for flops that results in a one technical foul free throw. So taking the league kind of taking a stab at flopping a little bit, it seems like that, I, I think that's obviously a fantastic move. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody that's anti-penalizing uh, flopping in any way, shape, or form. It just seems like that's really gotten out of hand the past couple years. I know, you know, when the first, you know, incidents of flopping took place you know over a decade ago at this point you know i think the league countered back pretty strongly and there were fines surrounding it and everything like that we have slowly kind of drifted away from that the past you know several years or so to the point where everybody's favorite player at some point all the superstars are flopping right it, it slows the game down it's terrible you go to the instant replay and you see how egregious some of these flops are it's, it's horrible for the game it gives basketball in general a bad rep so there i'm certainly a huge fan of there being an in-game penalty for flops resulting in one technical foul free throw so uh basically it's like a flopping tech at this point in time we'll see how often that's going to be thrown around but that in my opinion is a huge like you know, it's basically a quality of life change for the fans, right? This is just going to make basketball a lot more rewarding. There's going to be nothing more satisfying than watching your favorite team uh, play against a superstar you hate. They flop, you stand up off your couch and scream about it, and then they get, you know, they get a one-shot penalty against them, or your team gets a technical foul free throw because of it, and it's actually addressed properly. Uh, that's going to be huge if that's actually properly enforced. So hopefully, in general, it's just, you know, I don't really care about watching guys shoot, you know, free throws all day, but I do uh, just want to see there to be something to reduce flopping in the NBA, and hopefully this is a step in the right direction on that. And the second rule change is that there is actually going to be an initial coach's challenge granted if the first coach's challenge is successful. So I do think that this makes a lot of sense basketball-wise, right? Um, Something that we saw last season that I thought was pretty interesting was that um, basically it was a, a almost always a terrible move for a coach to use their challenge in the first half of the game, right? Because even if that challenge was successful or if it was a challenge of like a foul that affected like your team's best player, it still puts you at a disadvantage if you're heading into the closing minutes of the game and you don't have that coach's challenge in your best in your back pocket, right? So you'd see coaches use it in the first half and and you know, a lot of the announcers were were keen on commenting like, "Hey, this is, you know, this is huge whether they get it or not." Um, you know, this team is going to be without their challenge, even if that challenge is successful, um, come down the closing stretch of the game. So I do think that this makes a lot of sense. Now, like anything, there is going to be a drawback to it, right? That means we're most likely going to get more replays over the course of the game. Coaches will be more willing to use that first challenge, most likely if they're really confident in the call. So this might force us to watch, you know, several more replays over the course of the season if you're an active NBA fan like myself. So that kind of sucks, but I would rather see them make it you know, I think strategically it makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I think that it overall, it's a much more fair way to, you know, handle these coaches challenge situations, right? So I think that's a positive change. Hopefully they can cut down and replays in other areas to kind of counteract that. But again, between the addition of like a flopping penalty, that's a one, t- uh, one shot technical free throw, as well as the additional coaches challenge if the first is successful. I think those are two really positive rule changes. So shout out Adam Silverman. That's some good shit <laughs> heading into next season that I'm looking forward to seeing play out. Now let's get into it, man. Let's get into ranking the top 10 point guards in the NBA. So let me just, you know, there's a million different ways to rank players, right? You can do tier rankings. You can look at, you know, career-wise. You can look at the trade value of the players. While those are all very valid ways of doing things, the way that I'm going to be doing it is just looking at the top 10 point guards you would want on your team heading into next season, right? Like, so this season, right? It's not... You know, the age of the player is not really taken into effect, right? It's just how talented, how much these players, these point guards help their team win heading into this 
upcoming 2023-2024 NBA season. Okay, I do not want you guys to think again. It has nothing to do with, you know, the trade value of these players, right? Like, you know, for example, obviously a guy like Damian Lillard, he's up there in age. He might not have the most trade value, right? Because he's on a massive contract and he's what, 32, 33 years old at this point. Um, That being said, he's still an incredible player. So you're going to see him on this list. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. And the next thing is, of course, this is my opinion, right? I want you guys to... uh, Agree with me, disagree with me, whatever. Let me know. You guys know where to find me if you're watching this podcast, right? I think this is going to be a really fun way for us to have some NBA discussions throughout the offseason. But again, it's just my opinion. The point guards that I think give their teams the best chance to win this upcoming NBA season. And this was a really tough list, right? I mean, point guards a super deep position. Um, I think after I go through and do this exercise for you know all five of the starting positions in the NBA, uh, I'll probably get a better sense of what position is the deepest but I I would imagine point guards probably the early favorite in that right it feels like every good team in the NBA has a really good point guard leading the charge right so let's get into it let's at first you know mention a couple of guys that at least cross my minds the honorable mentions if you will that I did not end up putting on this list uh, but they did cross my mind Um, this four people uh, and maybe I missed somebody here you guys can let me know but uh, Darius Garland, a guy I really like, of course, for the of the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think he's like a fourth-year player at this point in time. Uh, what's really awesome, of course, Cleveland did disappoint in the playoffs, which, again, I should mention as well. I'm definitely um, accounting for playoff success in here. Um, I think that, obviously, the ultimate goal is to win an NBA championship. So, you know, point guards that have had playoff success are going to be higher on this list, as you guys will see shortly. Garland obviously doesn't have a ton of playoff experience. He got bounced by the Knicks, but a great young player. I just haven't seen enough from him to put him on this list quite yet. Uh, another guy, Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, shout out Tyrese, man. Just got uh, the mega bag. He just got the maximum rookie contract extension offered by the Indiana Pacers. Um, he was really special for Indiana this past year. He was a first-time All-Star. Uh, really great story. Um, of course, he was involved in that Demontis Sabonis trade that sent him from Sacramento over to Indiana. Um, you know, one of you know one of the more you know, in this dying breed of the traditional point guard, right? Like Chris Paul is kind of the last one of, of that old school floor general pass first type of guy. Basically, all the guys that you're going to see on this list are more along the lines of score first combo guards, if you will. Halliburton does seem like he's kind of cut from that same OG point guard cloth. He does seem uh, really pass first. I honestly, you know, wish I'd watched a little bit more Indiana. It was kind of a tough watch for me at times, especially for the few games that he missed that I had to sit through a couple of those. But Halliburton, really great young player. Just, again, haven't seen enough to put him on this list. Um, this guy, I probably could have left him off. The honorable mentions, I do just love Josh Giddy. Shout out Josh Giddy, really unique player. Six foot eight at the point guard position for OKC. Uh, really, really exciting. Really, really fun to watch. Again, just haven't seen enough from him. Hasn't ha- played in any real playoff games. Of course, they lost in the play-in tournament to the Timberwolves this past year. Uh, but along with you know him, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Jalen Williams, um, hopefully we see some flashes from Chet Holmgren this upcoming season. But OKC is a really great young core, and uh, Giddy's going to be a part of that moving forward. Um, and then finally, uh, Kyrie. I did not put him on my top 10 point guards list. It, it is kind of interesting because now with his role in Dallas, it is kind of seems like he's playing off the ball a little bit more. I wouldn't really consider him the point guard on that team. Um, that being said, you know, Kyrie's a super talented guy, right? This could look really bad, and, and he could definitely play his way onto this list within a couple games of the season. Again, it's been well documented. I've talked about Kyrie a lot on this podcast, how inconsistent he's been over the past several seasons, missing time for health, missing time with off-the-court um, issues, we'll say. Obviously, the vac- vaccination stuff was a controversy a couple years back. So 
Um, Kyrie hasn't played a whole lot of meaningful basketball recently, um, but when he does play, he's super special to watch. I just think, you know, between his defensive shortcomings and, and what we've seen from him lately, not enough to put him on the point guard list. So um, those were the honorable mentions. Again, Darius Garland, Tyrese Halliburton, Josh Giddy, Kyrie Irving. Uh, those were the four names that at least crossed my mind when making the list, but they did not make the top 10. Number 10 on my list, guy you're very familiar with, a guy we've already talked about here on this podcast, James Harden, right? Uh, James Harden, of course, former MVP. You know, he's certainly not the same guy that we saw in Houston, but he's still a really important part of the Philadelphia team. You know, I'm not, I did want include the stats for these guys just for more of context. I'm not obviously not just basing this list off of their uh, points, rebounds, and assists and shooting percentages, but this past season, he did put up 21, uh, six rebounds, 11 assists, uh, 44% from the field, uh, 39% from three, which is obviously still really great. Um, I believe he led the league in assists. If not, he was certainly very close. Um, but he was fantastic for Philadelphia during the regular season, right? He ended up getting banged up late season. And, you know, I think he would have had a chance to make one of the All-NBA teams if he didn't kind of, you know, slow down a little bit toward the end of the season. But even in the playoffs, right, I know that, you know, by no means was his series against the Celtics like a perfect playoff series for James Harden. But um, as we all remember, he had two really, really special games, especially that game one, man. He individually beating the Boston Celtics. He had 40-something points without Joel Embiid on the road in game one. That might be the best playoff moment of Harden's entire career, um, something that I know a lot of, you know, his his – Difficult playoff history is well documented, but at this stage in his career, he's not the same guy, but I do think he elevates the team. Um, obviously, how much are you going to get from him in the playoffs is the real question, but super talented scorer, really great playmaker as well, still shoots the ball at a really high clip. Um, is he worth the headache of, of having the fear of him requesting a trade every couple weeks? Well, you know, that's for you guys and, and fans of Philadelphia to decide, but James Harden, uh, number 10 on this list. Moving on to another guy, number nine, Trey, Trey Young, right? Trey's a really difficult person to rank, right? If you're looking at his statistical profile, you'd probably make the argument that he's a lot higher. You know, he's a multiple-time all-star. Does have some pretty notable playoff success, right? Leading that Hawks team past Philadelphia to the Eastern Conference Finals just a couple years back. Uh, he beat the Knicks in round one as well, which we all remember he was really special during that series. You know, my thing with Trey is, you know, A, doesn't seem like people really love playing with Trey Young. Seems like a really difficult ball-dominant person to play with. Um, his stats for this past season were 26, uh, three rebounds, 10 assists, uh, 43% from the field, and only 34% from 3-2. Uh, maybe it's because his name's Trey. Maybe it's because we all remember how special he was at Oklahoma. I don't know. But it does seem like you would think that his three-point percentage is a, a lot higher than just 34% from three, and that's kind of been the norm from him the past couple years. Like, he takes a lot of threes. He takes some insanely deep threes. He's got one of the greenest lights in the NBA from his coaching staff. But he really doesn't hit him at a crazy high percentage, right? And then, of course, you can't talk about Trey Young without talking about his defensive shortcomings, right? Like, he literally can't guard any one he's probably the worst defender in the entire league certainly the worst you know uh, defender of anybody that would make an all-star team or anything like that but that being said you know even against the Celtics they were able to extend that series to what five or six games against the Celtics in round one this past year I you know you can see how unstoppable he is at you know getting to his spots in the lane he's possibly the best alley-oop thrower I've, I've ever seen in my life like the lob threat from him and Clint Capella and formerly John Collins was really really special stuff um, and how easily he could get to his spots he's he's hard to guard man he's, he's nearly impossible to guard that being said I just don't know how often people how much people actually like playing with him he's far and away 
the worst defender that we're going to talk about today. Um, and I'm going to need to see him do it on a bigger stage more recently than that one, you know, Eastern Conference Finals run a couple years ago. Uh, because I do believe the Hawks have a lot of talent. They're a super deep team. They have Quinn Snyder as their head coach. Uh, you know, he has his first full offseason under his belt. We'll see what the Hawks amount to next year. But I do feel pretty comfortable putting Trey Young at nine. Number eight, this one is kind of surprising because he, he's very, very different from the previous two guys that we just talked about. He definitely has a lot of different um, things he provides on the court. But I got, at number eight, I have Drew Holiday, right? Um, he's a guy that I'm, I'm super high on. I think he's far and away, exact opposite of Trey Young, right? I think he's the best guard defender in the entire NBA. He had another first-team all-defensive selection for his efforts last year. And what I liked about Drew last year, too, right, like, Giannis is basically indestructible, but he did miss, you know, 20 games for the Bucks last season. In those games where Giannis didn't play down the stretch, um, I was watching a couple of them, and man, like, Drew Holiday offensively really stepped up. Now, you would have liked to see Drew Holiday step up in that series against Miami that they, of course, got bounced in round one this past year in the playoffs, but during the regular season, I, I did feel like his offense took a leap. Uh, statistically, he put up 19 points, five rebounds, seven assists. Uh, while shooting 48% from the field and 38% from three, which is actually a little bit higher than I thought. And the previous season, he was actually over 40% from three, which is obviously really solid. Uh, but yeah, man, I felt like during times during last season, um, offensively, he had kind of taken a leap. Um, it's just, you know, I think what really separates him from guys like Trey Young and James Harden is, is the playoff pedigree, right? Of course, he won a championship with the Bucs. Um, you know, he's not going to be a, a reliable shot creator when you need a bucket at the end of games, but that's not usually what Milwaukee needs of him. Uh, I just think that he really, if you're a team that is contending for a championship, um, I think that Every, almost unanimously across the board, every general manager would take a guy like Drew Holiday over Trey Young and over James Harden, right? Like if you already have a superstar player and you need somebody to, to get stops, complement that superstar, keep the flow of the offense going and, and make timely baskets along the way, you know, again, Drew Holiday is that guy. He's not going to be the guy that you put on the poster, right? He's not going to be the guy that always makes the all-star team like Harden and Trey. But I think when it comes down to winning games in the NBA, I think you'd be an idiot to not have Drew Holiday in your top 10 point guards, um, you know, and that's why I feel I have met number eight. And so I do think it's worth noting, I'll talk about tiers a little bit here. Um, maybe I'll, I'll talk about the tiers at, at the end because I did kind of, if I had to put these guys in tiers, I would have put uh, Drew, Trey, and Harden kind of in their own tier here. And then we kind of go up a tier when we jump up to number seven on this list. Uh, we'll talk more about the tiers at the end, but at number seven, I have Jalen Brunson. Um, obviously a guy that had a fantastic season. Uh, I was super high on Brunson, you know, even just during his time with Dallas. I, I loved watching him. Um, you know, I remember, you know, the, the playoffs in, in 2021 and or the playoffs in 2022, I should say, um, you know, that first round against Utah, Luca had actually missed a couple of those games. And uh, Dallas, surprisingly enough, was able to steal a couple games in Utah. Now, I know that was the end of, you know, the Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert pairing in Utah, which had kind of run its course. And I get that. But the fact that Dallas, who was a, a talent-deprived team, was able to win with, you know, Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie leading the charge against a real playoff team in Utah uh, was really impressive, man. The way he got to his spots was awesome. Of course, it was well-documented how Dallas kind of blew it by, you know, letting him even get to unrestricted free agency at this time last year where he ultimately ended up signing with the Knicks. Well, Mavericks fans were even more haunted by that decision than they ever would have thought because of how fantastic he was for the Knicks this past season. Uh, Brunson put up 24 points, 4 rebounds, 6 assists, 49% shooting from the field, and 42% shooting from 3 as well, which is, again was actually a little bit higher than I thought. What's so special about Jalen Brunson, I don't really know what he's listed at height-wise. He's probably listed at like 6'1", 6 feet. 
there's no way that dude isn't like 5'10". Like the, the way that he gets to his spots, and I don't exactly know the, the exact stat off the top of my head here, but I know, uh, I think it was it was not this past year, but the year before. He actually led the league in like scoring, like right, right around the lane, like right around the block actually, because of how consistently he can get to his spot, stop on a dime, create space, and score right around the basket, like not directly under the basket, but in that short to mid-range area, he is absolutely deadly um and it's so fascinating to watch a guy of his size but he's so strong the handle's tight and more importantly he actually had some success in the playoffs this past year right um they were able to win that first run against cleveland that you know i was really impressed with because again i'm very high on cleveland uh, as a team uh but what brunson was able to do was really special right because julius randall was banged up and and really inefficient you know basically the entirety of the playoffs Brunson was the true alpha of that team, leading that team uh, to, you know, a second-round defeat against the Miami Heat. But, of course, we know how how great Miami was uh, as they ended up making it to the NBA Finals. But Brunson was awesome. He exceeded the wildest expectations, and I feel really comfortable putting him at seven on the top uh, point guards list in the NBA. Uh, moving on to number six, a guy that I think very similarly had a, a kind of a breakout year this past year, um, De'Aaron Fox of the Sacramento Kings, right? Fox was a guy that, you know, there was... I think he took a lot of heat because the the Kings front office made the decision to tr- move on from Tyrese Halliburton instead of moving on from De'Aaron Fox. Now, I think those two guys could have en- eventually ended up figuring it out and playing alongside each other. They're both very smart, very talented players. But, you know, Halliburton as a rookie really shocked people with how immediate you could, you could tell that this guy was going to be a star in the league where, you know, Fox had, had kind of started off hot and then, then, you know, he, then he kind of soured the past couple of years, right? Like he didn't make any massive leaps. And of course they weren't playing any meaningful basketball in Sacramento over the past couple of years, but you know, obviously it proved that the Sabonis trade was the Sabonis Halliburton trade. I should say was a true win-win. Um, you know, obviously Sabonis did some fantastic things in Sacramento, but it reassured the Aaron Fox, like, Hey man, this is your backcourt, right? This is kind of your, team this is your we're going to play at the pace that you want you're going to be the primary ball handler and what kind of eventually made me you know put him above Brunson on this list was how impressive he was to close out games not to say that Brunson wasn't but of course uh De'Aaron Fox was the I think this is the first time they gave out the clutch award right that regular season award that they gave out for the first time De'Aaron Fox did win it this past year and it was a pretty obvious choice right out of all the NBA awards debate if you looked at any metric for like the last five minutes and what what the NBA determined as clutch baskets Fox led the way basically the entirety of the year right um you know his three-point shooting was a little low right statistically he put up 25 points four rebounds six assists 51 percent from the field which is obviously super strong it's actually the highest of anybody on the top 10 um but only 32 percent from three obviously you'd like to see that improve a little bit um i know he was banged up in that series against golden state i think he had a wrist or hand injury or something like that but still looked really great against golden state i do think he is the most talented player on the kings right alongside Demontis sabonis um, and i think the kings are going to be frisky in the west for years to come and fox is a huge part of it now we are on to the top five of our list and at number five this is where i want your guys's input above anything else right because um, like anybody right I, i'm i'm victim of recency bias and and i watched very closely as you guys know the playoffs is past over the past couple months and um, somebody that shined very bright during this playoff run was of course jamal murray and I did end up putting him here at number five on this list. And you, but at the same time, I recognize that maybe I'm being over, you know, a little too reactionary to the championship run by the Denver Nuggets and Jamal Murray, right? Like if you had asked me before the playoffs what I've had Jamal Murray on the top ten, maybe he either would have been the honorable mention section or he would have been floating around, you know, ten on that list. 
But that being said, I you know the more I think about it, I looked at his numbers really closely. I do feel very confident in putting Jamal Murray here. Now that that being said, I do think he's in the same tier as guys that I just mentioned in, in De'Aaron Fox and Jalen Brunson. And I think, of course, what separates him from those guys is the fact that he just won an NBA championship. Uh, but let's talk a little bit more about Murray, right? Um, you know, during the regular season this past year, his stats weren't anything crazy, right? He averaged 20 points a game, four rebounds, six assists, 45% from the field, uh, 40% from three as well. Uh, but then, you know, during the playoffs, and of course, we do have a 20-game sample size for this, his numbers took a massive leap, and it also matched the eye test as well, right? During the playoffs this past year, he averaged 26 points a game, six rebounds, seven assists, while maintaining 47% shooting from the field and 40% shooting from three. So, what I like about Jamal Murray is, look, and I think, again, this could be said for Fox and Brunson too, right? If if they're, if he's if any of those three guys are the best player on your team, you're you're definitely not winning a championship. Let's call it what it is, right? You need you still need one of those handful of really special guys to pair him with, to pair any of those guys with to be successful and ultimately get over the hump and win a title. And that is not a detriment on any of those guys. It's just really really hard to win a championship in the NBA, and those guys are just not on that level. But that being said, if you know Jalen Brunson. Darren Fox or Jamal Murray in this case are your second best player. You can win a championship. And while I do believe that you can say that about any of those guys, if you put them alongside with, if you put Jalen Brunson next to Jokic, I'm sure he'd look a lot better. I'm sure Fox would look a lot better, but they wouldn't be as good of a fit as Jamal Murray is with this Denver offense, right? And what I really like about Jamal Murray is the elite ability to shoot the ball and obviously orchestrate pick and rolls with, with Jokic as well, right? You know, what I like about him is, again, how dominant, how, how much he moves off the ball, how well he, you know, is great in the catch-and-shoot situation. But, you know, we saw in some of those games where Jokic, you know, what didn't exactly have it as far as, you know, his individual ability to score the ball. You know, Murray took over in some really massive games. He had insane games over in over the course of the series against the Lakers. He had some really crazy game, a really crazy game that I remember against the Timberwolves as well. And then, of course, we, I mean, we watched him throughout that playoff run. He was, he was fantastic in everything you would want in, like, the second best player on your team, someone that can create their own basket, right? Someone that gives, you know, pretty solid effort on the defensive end, you know, despite the fact that he's not the biggest player out there, you can attack the basket. Uh, he's not afraid to take big shots. And, you know, what I love the most about him overall is just like, obviously he's a playoff guy, right? Even a couple of years ago in the bubble, we saw how special he was there. Of course, we were kind of deprived of seeing him play in any sort of playoff basketball over the past, you know, the previous two seasons due to injury. But, you know, he obviously... Uh, you know, proved a lot of people wrong with it, how special he was in that run. He's an NBA championship, NBA champion now. And so I do feel good about, look, I think he's in that same tier talent-wise as Fox and Brunson, but he did end up winning the title. I do think he's the best fit to pair next to one of those elite guys because I think he's the best shooter of the bunch, uh, especially when you factor in how many three-point shots he actually takes. I know Brunson shot a better percentage during the regular season. You know, Murray took a lot more threes, though. Uh, that being said, I really like Jamal Murray. I don't think I'm being too reactionary to put him at number five. I think that that is a fair ranking for him, and I think he deserves it. So let's move on to, you know, basically the elite point guards in the NBA, right? I think this is a, a considerable tier jump as we move up to number four. And that is where we find our guy, Ja Wick, Ja Gotti, uh, Ja Morant. Of course, Ja Morant lands at number four here. Statistically, this past season during the regular season, of course, he averaged 26 points a game. Six rebounds, eight assists on 47% shooting from the field and 31% from three. Uh, look, I'm obviously not a jaw guy. We know that. We know he's going to be suspended for 25 games to start next season, which is obviously um, a huge detriment to the Grizzlies' outlook for next year. But that being said, 
Jaws special. Jaws is is absolutely special. I've really, you know, it's been years and years since we've seen a guy of his size be able to get to the rim like he does. Like literally each and every time he gets into the lane, he just turns his body into a projectile and slings himself at the hoop. He probably has the best highlight reel out of anybody on this list besides I'd still put Steph above him because I just like that brand of basketball a little bit more, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh spoiler alert, Steph is on this list. He's he's a little bit higher than four. But Anyways, John Morant, special player. He's he's not my cup of tea. Obviously, you'd like to see the three-point shooting take a bit of a leap and, and get better than just 31%. That's holding him back a little bit. And just in general, I just think, you know, for him, finding ways to elongate his career, right? How is he going to look when he's not the same level of athlete that he is right now? You know, I think pound for pound, he's probably the best athlete in the entire NBA um, with how how, you know, fast he is how quick he is how you know quickly he gets to the apex of his jump and you combine that with his 40 something inch vertical i mean he's special obviously we haven't seen jock get it done in the playoffs right we haven't seen him uh, you know lead a team multiple rounds in the playoffs but you know that being said they they have been really competitive in the regular season you know individually on, on a night-to-night basis jaws just up you know better than all the guys we've previously named on this list and so i think it's pretty fair to slot him in at number four at this point in time uh, moving on to number three, again, somebody we talked about a little bit earlier in this podcast. This is where I had Dame. This is where I had Damian Lillard. Um, again, as we've talked about in the last podcast, he's coming off of probably the best season statistically of his entire career. 32 points a game, five rebounds, seven assists, 46% from the field, 37% from three, which I thought was actually a little bit lower than what I was expecting for Dame. But obviously, you know, how much do I really need to say about Dame Lillard, the basketball player, right? It's obviously unfortunate that he hasn't been surrounded by a ton of talent in Portland, and that's part of the reason why he's asking out. But um, he does have a Western Conference Finals appearance a couple years ago. I think he was, you know, they had the honor of being, you know, promptly swept by the, you know, KD-led Warriors when they were, you know, arguably one of the best teams of all time. Portland ended up playing them in the Western Conference Finals. They weren't even able to steal a game. Um you know, Dame, Dame's a dog, right? He's he's a guy anybody would want on your team. I think it's pretty safe to say, again, just like some of the guys we were talking about earlier, if he's your best player, you know, as he's been, he's been the best player on his team basically the entirety of his, you know, what, 11, 12-year career at this point. Um, you're probably not going to win a championship, which, again, is not, you know, I'm not saying that to be disrespectful to Dame or anything like that. Again, it's just really hard to win a title. Uh, but it would be really cool to see him be, like, the co-star and, and play alongside another, you know, top 10 to 15 player in the NBA because I think Dame's at that level. You know, he's probably you know, a top three three-point shooter ever up there with Stephen Clay. I think as far as the total number of threes goes, he's going to, he's definitely going to finish somewhere in the top five. I think, you know, out of current players, Harden's probably on that list as well. Uh, but Dame's incredible. The way he can space the floor, how clutch of a player he is, the ability to create his own shot, the ability to get to the hoop. He's a multi-level scorer. You know, the only thing negative you could say about Dame, the basketball player, is look, he is a defensive liability. Probably the biggest defensive liability on this list that's not named Trey Young for what it's worth, especially when you take into account his advanced age being about 33 years old at this point in time. Uh, so we'll see where he ends up. But that being said, that's that's why it's a story, right? That's, Dame is an incredible player. Anybody in their right mind would want him on their team in a vacuum. Uh, but we'll see if he ends up getting what he wants and goes to Miami. But he does slot in at number three on this list. And here we are at the top two guys on my point guard list. This was tough. Um, I went really back and forth on these on these two guys. And, and obviously, I'll let you know where I landed in a second. But Obviously, first and foremost, this is the S tier, right? This is the the clear cream of the crop at the point guard position in the NBA. And this one, you know, ultimately was kind of a coin flip between these two guys. And it it does pain me to announce my number two on this list. 
Uh, but this is where I had Steph Curry, right? Steph is my favorite player ever. I don't think anybody's ever going to take that away uh, and knock him off that, that uh, you know, holding the title as my favorite player ever because of how much I've loved watching him over the past decade or so. Uh, Steph's incredible, right? I don't need to spend too much time talking about him, but I probably will talk longer than I should anyway because of how much I love the guy. Statistically, you know, 29-6-6 six six last season, 49% from the field, uh, 43% from three, which is actually pretty low for Steph Curry's standards. Uh, but what is there what, what is there left to say about Steph, right? Um, I think, honestly, again, I've said this on the podcast a couple of times, but last season, you know, you could maybe make the argument individually was the best season of Steph's entire career, just kind of watching the guy play. You know, defensively, he's better than he's ever been because he's so much stronger, right? He seems more durable out there. Um, he's just so smart with avoiding bad match- matchups on the defensive end, and he knows where to go. He's not just a total liability out there, uh, which is light years ahead of where he was when they were, you know, really dominant, you know, around 2015 or so as well, right? Um, and then also just getting to the basket, right? It seems like he's finishing better than he ever has in his tr- entire career. It's easiest for him to get to his spots and to get to the hoop, um, easier than it's ever been for him, right? Um, it's just a matter of like, look, we know what Steph is going to give you. It's just what are the Warriors? Are they going to put in the right pieces and pull the right strings around him to ultimately get them to the promised land, right? Because you know Steph's going to get it done when they need him the most. I think it was smart for them to obviously retain Draymond and move on from Jordan Poole to. You know, hopefully they just try to, you know, compile instead of having the multiple timeline thing and, you know, contend for the championship while still acquiring young assets for the future. Hopefully they just do the smart thing and just try to build around Steph Curry, one of the, you know, 10 or 15 best players ever, um, and just try to maximize his prime because he is going to age so well. Um, but yeah, that's why I had Steph at number two, right? Um, he's incredible. There's there's not much left to say about him, but I did ultimately give the nod to Luca. At number one, right? This was really tough for me. The reason why I put Luca there is it's a hard to, def- you know, I- I'm not putting too much stake into the stats. Statistically, it's it's not very close, right? Luca's stats are bonkers: 32 points, nine rebounds, eight assists, uh, 50% shooting from the field, only 34% shooting from three for Luca. It's not really about the stats as much as I just think Luca is probably the third best player in the entire world at this point, behind only Giannis and Jokic. Um, so I think that, you know, it's just really the difference is that Luca was surrounded by complete and utter dog shit last season, right? You can say that the Warriors, you know, surrounding cast wasn't as good as it had been in previous years, but it was still light years ahead of what Luca was dealing with, right? Um, even the marginal improvements that Dallas has made in the offseason, I think that, you know, Luca's going to make a really big step forward this upcoming season. I'm pretty confident in that. I think the Mavericks are going to be, you know, a top four seed in the West just because of how much confidence I have in him above all else. Now, there's still going to be saddled by, you know, having Jason Kidd as their head coach, right? They're still going to be saddled by, you know, what are you really going to get from Kyrie on a night-to-night basis? Is he going to be available when you need him the most in the playoffs? And, um, of course, who is going to help them get stops in that team? How are those young rookies going to develop? Still a lot of questions around Dallas, but there are no questions around the greatness of Luka. The ability for him to play at his own pace, right? He's six foot seven. Um, he just absolutely annihilates smaller defenders, right? He just he just does. Like even a guy at like, you know, a couple years ago in the playoffs when they matched up against Phoenix and you know, he's being defended by Mikhail Bridge or uh sorry, yeah, Mikhail Bridges, someone said Miles Bridges. Um Mikhail Bridges, one of the best young defenders in the entire NBA, right? Who's six foot seven, fantastic wingspan on him. 
and he's just bullied by Luca because he's so he's like a battering ram, right? He's got so much strength that people don't even realize. He just if he gets a matchup he doesn't like, he can take somebody down to the post and score at, at virtually every level. Um, and it just seems like he's just walking to the spots in game because of how you know how intelligent he is, how well he sees the game, how much how often he's able to kick out to open shooters. You know, if you're nitpicking his game, you'd probably like him to see a little bit higher percentage shooting from three. You know, maybe that you know that percentage is only at 34 percent because so many of the threes that he does take are of you know pretty difficult nature right they're often you know created isolation threes or step back threes and you know he doesn't really have a guy or hadn't had a guy around him that you know create easy looks from him in the catch and shoot situation maybe Kyrie can can help him out with that as they get into it but I think Luca again third best player in the whole world I think if I had to pick him or Steph in a vacuum heading into next season I think Luca's a better player uh but if you if you still wanted to argue Steph because of the championship pedigree you know I can't say you're wrong on that either it's really really close so that's the list, guys. That's the top 10 point guards in the NBA. Um, and let me just kind of go through and recap again. At number one, I had Luka. Number two, I had Steph. I had those guys at their own tier. The, the tier one of point guards is Luka and Steph. The tier two guys, at, at number three, we had Dame. Uh, and number four, we had Ja. So I put those guys in kind of their own tier and tier two right there. Number five, we had Jamal Murray. Number six, we had De'Aaron Fox. Number seven, we had Jalen Brunson. Again, I would probably put Murray, Fox, and Brunson in the tier three of guys right there. Uh, and then in tier four, at number eight, we had Drew Holiday. Uh, number nine, we had Trey Young. And number 10, we had James Harden. So that's the list, guys. Definitely let me know. Again, this is just my opinion. This is just some, you know, I did a little bit of research for it, but I kind of just trusted my gut based on what I saw watching a lot of games last season, what we saw in the playoffs. Again, the top 10 point guards for, you know, helping your team ultimately contend for a title just heading into next season. Again, not accounting for age, trade value, any of that shit. I think Luca is the best option, followed by Steph and a lot of other great names on that list. I think this was a really difficult list to make because a lot of guys were in the similar boat. Uh, so let me know what you think, right? Uh, and I think that just about does it for me, guys. Obviously, the podcast will get a little bit shorter with there being less you know, pressing current events to talk about. But before I let you guys go, be sure to follow at Words with Wallace on everything. Uh, that includes YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to download. Download's huge. Even if you're not actually listening to the podcast, you can just shoot me a download. That'd be huge. Um, and then as well, uh, be, for, be sure to share the show and tell a friend. But I should be back next week. Hopefully, maybe we can get uh, somebody around covering some of the teams in the NBA. I'd love to get some beat reporters on here to kind of go do some more deep dives on individual teams and their aspirations heading into next season. And if I can't get anybody on, I can always fall back on doing another one of these top 10 lists, maybe at the shooting guard position next, and we can get that to you guys around this time next week. So with that being said, guys, I'll let you go, and I'll talk to you next week. Peace.